Welcome Travelers Blueprint community. I'm Elliot Shibley and here with me as always is the swashbuckling Robert Demena. Swashbuckling, huh? What does that mean? So according to dictionary.com, it is acting in the mannerisms of a swashbuckler, which is very helpful. But then if you look up what a swashbuckler is, it is a swaggering swordsman, soldier, or adventurer. Okay. Swordsman, adventurer. Um, and, and, get... and don't forget soldier. And, and soldier. Nice. Okay. I can get behind that yeah. um, for the most part. All right, cool. Thank you, Elliot. Um, all right, guys. So today, before we get into the podcast, as always, we're going to run through our partners, Minivan of Memories, uh, blogging platform, very helpful for travelers who want to get their blogs or their travel experiences out there to the world. Um, you don't need to rely on your building your own platform. Use his. Aldison is the, the driver of the minivan. Um, he's an awesome guy, someone who we are becoming close with. So check that out. Little Passports, that is an affiliate of ours. Go to our website, into our affiliate links, and you can uh, purchase subscriptions for your infant, for your young child. And they are very cool, very educational, and it will bring out the adventurer or traveler uh, in your child. Or swashbuckler. Or swashbuckler. Uh, Travel by Locals is now a new partner of our podcast. And so you can also go to the um, the affiliate link on our website and book tours through them. They hook people up with, around the world with various tours, uh, very specific guides. Um, you can do everything from food tours to historic history tours to walking tours. It's it's all on there. Check it out. Very, very cool stuff. Um, so I think that's enough for me. Elliot, what do we have going on? So our guest today is an avid traveler that still holds down a 40-hour workweek job. And in the episode today, we actually discuss how he actually gets the vacation time, because not a lot of us are able to take three or four 10-day trips a year. Um, How he saves for those trips, how he plans for those trips, getting into flights, how he saves up to 50% on some flights, uh, what he prefers in terms of lodging and how he does inner city travel. And then from there, we talk a little bit about the logistics of traveling with a large group of friends. And when we say large, we mean like 10 people, which is a lot of people. And then our guest also discusses what to be aware of when traveling outside the United States as a member of the gay community and what to be cognizant of when you're traveling. And lastly, he shares a quite entertaining story of his trip to Greece. So without further ado, please give a warm welcome to Chase Angle. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Chase, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Thank you guys for having me. Like Bob and myself, you work a very standard nine to five job. So tonight's episode, we really want to talk to you about how you find the time to travel, find and work out your budgets for travel, and really decide where you want to travel with your limited time off. So I think with my nine to five job, so I I work for the federal government. And I think one one of the nice kind of trade-offs with that is that while the pay might not necessarily be as high, we do get a lot more benefits. So for me, um, we often have like, I believe it's once once you're in federal service for three years, 
uh, you get six hours of leave per pay period instead of four, which is, translates instead of like kind of you know, like your typical two and a half weeks. Now I get about three and a half, four weeks. Um, you know, we get all like our federal holidays off, all the oddball holidays, you know, Columbus Day, veterans, all those. And um, we can also do alternate work schedules. So instead of doing like, you know, five, eight hour days for, you know, two weeks in a pay period, I can do nine hour days and then have every other Friday off, or I could do 10 hour days and have every Friday off. And with those kind of um, perks and benefits, it really has allowed me to uh, be strategic with how I can plan, you know, a vacation, say if it's the, if I leave on the second week of a pay period and come back the first week of the next, I can move my like regular day off so that way I'm only like, you know, taking uh, seven days instead of 10 days, you know? So things like that um, are really nice in the federal government. They allow you a lot more flexibility. Um, I would say too, that the three years of vesting time, I was an internship. I was in an internship there for two years, which counted towards that. So by the time I was starting to work full time, I'm like getting those perks that people who had worked in federal service full-time for three years are also now getting. So I think that really helped kind of set me ahead of the pack as far as like being at least just time off-wise unable to go so many places. Those are awesome perks. Yeah. So how much do they allow you to work in one day? Like, could you work 24 hours just straight through if you wanted to? So you have like pretty, the the short answer is no. Um, You're not allowed to do that at all. You I believe typical working hours in the federal government are between, and I could be wrong on this, I think it's like 5.30 in the morning to 6 or 7 at night, depending what, what department you are. And after that, it's really frowned upon. Like Usually you have to either take overtime or you have to take comp time, which is something that's very nice in the federal government. When I was like an intern and then like my first year, I was on a very intensive project that often, you know, we had insane deadlines. And so instead of taking overtime and getting the money for it, I could take comp time, which means that, you know, if I do four hours in the evening here, instead of getting paid for those four hours, now I get four hours of extra leave that I can take at another point. So with that, the catch with comp time is that it expires the a year after you've earned it. So you have to kind of use that stuff before you use your typical vacation time. And with that, I was able to accrue a lot more vacation time, like as an intern and early on in my career that I kind of helped pad it up. So that way, once I hit my six hours per pay period, I was just ready to go. Yeah. Did, well, did we say what you did? Oh, yes. I guess I guess I did not. Um, no. So I, uh, you know, I work for the federal government. I am a short, I guess shorts uh, would be a an operations research analyst for the Navy, which basically does data, data analytics, uh, data munging, kind of, you know, analysis, stuff like that. That's pretty awesome. I wish Bob and I's previous company had given us that kind of off time because we would have earned a lot. I would have had enough to go on vacation for a year, six months. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we yeah. covered how you have the time to travel and it seems like the benefits with the federal government are pretty great. Now, how do you finance your trips? That is, it, it takes a lot of careful planning. I use a lot of uh, sites. I rarely ever stay in hotels when I go abroad. We usually do Airbnbs. It's, you know, it's a cooler experience. You're in the city, you're, you're a part of the city, and it's a lot cheaper per night. Usually when you're splitting amongst, you know, six, eight people, it's just much more cost effective. I'm also a huge advocate of this website called Scott's Cheap Flights. It sounds very yes. sketchy. It looks very sketchy. The email looks sketchy. But I've done it now 
I think I've gotten four or five different international flights on there, and they're with like KLM and and you know Aer Lingus and like good like international airlines. And so I was like, hey, I mean, yeah, it looks like it's like a plain text email that looks like it's from you know, some Russian bot, but it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to explain Scott's cheap flights to anybody listening, we I, we actually subscribe as well, Elliot and I. Um, you sign up for this program, Scott's Cheap Flights. It's forty dollars per year, and you then get multiple e- emails daily. I mean, up five minimum of like five per day, and you predetermine which airports you're willing to fly out of, and then you get these flight deals um, from those airports to pretty much anywhere in the world. You'll get an email. You know, I have it set to Philadelphia, Philadelphia to Germany. The next email comes in, Philadelphia to Turks and Caicos. And they're all significantly cheaper flights than what you're normally used to seeing. They give you some general information on the destination. And then at the bottom of the email, you get information on how to actually go about finding the flight and booking it. It's it's really helpful. Um, so the thing, so I'm curious, since you've used it, and this is something that I thought of, looking at those emails, the best way to use Scott's cheap flights would to be would to be not having a destination picked. You wait for the email to come along. You say, wow, that looks like an awesome destination. Let's go there. Whereas I'm sort of the opposite. I kind of have my destination picked out and then I wait for the cheap flights to come about. So is that what you do? Do you do the first one? Yeah, I'm definitely, I would say I'm definitely part of the first kind of school of thought. Uh, I know usually I have kind of like you know a list of countries, like these are kind of the next up places that I want to go and whichever one comes first, great. I actually just use Scotch Cheap Flights to purchase airline tickets, well, find airline tickets for Iceland um, in August. And we usually have a location in mind, but as long as we have the date or range of dates for flexibility, you can usually find pretty cheap flights. And sometimes they're 50 to 75% off their normal fare. Did you see, I just saw a sign, um, Manila, they no longer meet United States airport security standards. I don't know what that means for you coming back. Like, do they not allow you to fly home from Manila? I don't know, but I did see Or do you have to fly that. to another airport that does meet U.S. standards? Right, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to Manila anytime soon, so I'm not really worried about it. But eh, if you are, if you're listening to this and you are, you might want to look into it because you might not be able to get back into the United States. We covered budget, time, and primary modes of transportation, actually getting to the country. So now, how do you travel within the country? What's your preferred method? You mean like like between like city to city, kind of like farther transportation, yeah. you would say? Uh, it really depends. Uh, I've done one-way flights. We've done one-way flights. We did a tour of Amsterdam, Berlin, and Brussels, and that was more cost-effective just to get one-way flights because uh, a one-way flight, which was, I think, an hour and a half, was $30. We've done trains. I do love a high-speed train. I think it's just a neat experience and a way to experience kind of a country instead of flying over it so much, you're kind of actually in it. Um, and there's been times too, where we went from Rotterdam to Amsterdam and we just ran out of cars and, uh, we just kind of wanted to see the countryside. So it, it, it depends. It's just whatever kind of everyone's feeling. Um, some are more conducive to larger groups. Some are more conducive to having like a few people. So it's just kind of whatever everyone kind of feels out. It's not really anything we, we don't plan transportation too hard. That is one nice thing about traveling in European countries is that you can do it by car. You can drive yourself. When we went to Peru, we made sure that we had all of our travel plans prearranged, transportation pickups, everything, because driving in that country is such a nightmare and really unsafe. Yeah. And we had a, we had a very crunched schedule where we kind of had to 
plan everything in advance. It would have been amazing to go there for like a month and not have to worry about anything and just wing it. But So for your trip to Amsterdam, and depending on the length of the stay, what is a ballpark estimate of the total cost of the trip, including flights? Stay as in like total, like the total duration of the trip? Yes. Total stay, I believe, was 10 days, I would say. And with transportation to the cities, lodging, and then, of course, getting to Europe, we were probably around 1,200 a person. Yeah. Yeah. That's it? Wow. I thought it would have been more than that. Because I thought Europe was kind of equivalent to the U.S. in terms of cost. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, 1200 is really cheap. We did Peru for 1700 and that's South America. And that was less time. That was only seven days. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say it was probably about 1200 We're pretty good. We had, we had the right amount, like the kind of just the right size group that, you know, like that eight, 10 people that you can get like the right size Airbnb for what you need. Um we're pretty good about dividing people if we need to. If it's cheaper to get two kind of Airbnbs, the flights were, yeah, I think the most expensive flight, one-way flight that we had gotten, I think was $30. The other one was about six. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know how much the train was. But yeah, I think, and actually what inspired us all to go was we had never even considered Amsterdam. And it was actually my spring break. I was still in college. And all my friends, of course, you know, have our full-time jobs out of college, whatever. And we saw it come up on Scott's two flights, and I think it was round trip out of Newark for like $340 on KLM, direct. And hit up all of our friends, and we're like, uh, oh, that's right. This was in Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, it came up, and we were we had done our Friendsgiving right after Thanksgiving. And we were with everyone, and we were like, oh, like, do you want to go to Amsterdam? Oh, that'd be so much fun. Like if we And we talked about it at the, at the dinner table, and then, of course, you know, the wine gets flowing, and then, of course, the wine progresses to the bar. And then drinks are happening. And then before we knew it, it's like midnight and we're at this, we're at this little gay bar. And, I, and our friends were like, just do it. Just do it right now. And we ended up, I mean, in, in a non-sober state, ordering plane tickets to Amsterdam in March. No one had ever been there before. No one knew what was in Amsterdam. And we texted all of our friends, just get on board and do it. And... That, that kind of started this whole cycle of just this abroad, like pulling all of our friends to go on these all trips. It was like that. That was like the moment that like everything shifted. That's really cool. Yeah, so you mentioned really cool. earlier that you traveled with a few friends. Do you like traveling in groups? It depends on the trip. I will say that it really depends on the trip. Some trips like uh, when, when it's city hopping like that, I think that a smaller group, six or less, is just so much easier to manage, especially like with airports and bags and all that stuff. If we're doing more of like a proper tour of a country where maybe we're like driving or taking trains, we can do larger groups. And sometimes I think 10 is probably around my sweet spot because it's large enough, well, it's small enough that we can we can manage it, right? That, that we can keep kind of everyone together. We can kind of get into places. It's fine. But it's also big enough that by the end of the trip, once everyone starts getting a little irritated of everyone, that everyone can kind of like the, the big group can divide into a few smaller pieces and people can kind of do their own things. You know, if one friend wants to go see the museums, another person doesn't really want to do the tourist stuff, then they don't have to. And there's probably another person at least that will want to do something else with. So, but it, it really just depends on the trip, what, what we're doing. Okay. Yeah, I have not really traveled in large groups like that before outside of school, but if I did travel in a group like that, I would leave almost, no, all of the planning to Bob. Yeah, yeah, thanks. For 10 people, man, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. I've never I've never traveled with that many people. I've gone to, when I went to Thailand, I was part of a group, 
of 30 people, I think it was. Um, but we were strangers. And so there was no obligation to hang out with each other. Um, we ended up doing that for a large majority of it. But um, we did split up. I mean, I think it ended up there. The, the group was divided in from, you know, we were 18 to 30 years old. And so we naturally just segregated according to age. The 18 year olds went and did their thing. And the 30 year olds just, you know, sat around and drank. And I think like when I always, no matter how big the group is, I always like, I, I'm an active fighter against groupthink. I'm very much like the group should not feel the need to stay together the whole time. I mostly start, I start most of my trips and it kind of comes off harsh, but all my friends kind of get it. I say, as long as you're at your flight on time and as long as you know where the Airbnb is, if I don't see the rest of the trip, I hope you have fun. Like I'd like to do, you know, one formal kind of dinner. You usually at the end, usually at the, you know, beginning and the end to kind of, you know, wrap it up. But overall, if we don't want to do the same things, I'm not going to make you do the things that I want to do. And you shouldn't want to make me do the things that you want to do. So if we can a lot line up, you know, the things that we both want to do great. You know, if we both want to see Westminster Abbey, well, let's do that on the same day. And then we'll do our different things on, on the same day as well. But uh, overall, I, you know, life, liberty, and your own pursuit of happiness, whatever that may be. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way. I just assume that if you're traveling as a group, you do all of your activities as a group too. Huh. Yeah, no, I, I'm more on board with Chase. I, uh, it would too. be hard. I would I would find it hard to imagine that 10 people would all want to do the same thing every single day together. And yeah, going into it and knowing that you're not going to force people to do anything and you can kind of just go about your own separate ways, I think it makes for a better experience for everybody. And then I think at the end of the day, most people are going to want to eat dinner and go grab drinks. So you can end up, hanging out with those people almost daily anyway, I would assume. I mean, maybe some people are going to get up bed early, but yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think it's funny when you start the trip with that mindset, like I'm not going to make you stay with me. I feel like then usually the group is actually more conducive to wanting to say, because you know, then you can leave at any time. If, if you're over something, if you don't want to do something, I'm like, you're not going to offend me. Um, I'm usually, you know, of course the planner. And so I make a giant spreadsheet that has all of this stuff on it. And, you know, I tell people like, this is, you know, the spreadsheet is like a, it's like a recipe. It's a recommendation. If you don't want to do anything on here, that's fine. You're not going to hurt me, but I'm not going to plan your trip. Yeah. Well, that's how it went for Peru. When I wrote the itinerary up, I think a lot of it, I put, I'm waking up at this time. If you want to wake up at this time, come with me. Um, if you don't, then I'll meet, we can meet here and grab breakfast at this time, whatever it was, but we ended up sticking together. It was only three of us, but we ended up sticking together for the entire trip. Yeah. Yeah. I think Brian and I had a little bit of FOMO. we didn't really want to miss out on whatever you were doing, Bob. <laughs> well, yeah, it, you really wanted to sleep in, but you were just worried that I was going to have too much fun without you. So you just, you, you came along. Exactly. Yeah. We thought you would get lost. That's the real reason. Yeah, maybe. You are the maps. All right, Chase, we know you like to travel, but how do you decide where you want to go? And how do you decide what you want to do in that country or city that you're visiting? You mentioned before the show that you like to do events. What kind of events are you talking about? So types of trips that that varies too. I mean, we've had trips that were, you know, designed to be kind of more relaxing, ones that are designed to be a little more touristy. I do I will say that when we do when we go anywhere, I always try to go to one city that I've kind of done before, uh only once usually. So like Amsterdam when we did it, uh we I never done London, I had never done Rotterdam, but I done Amsterdam before. And so when you kind of bring in a city you've done my favorite is when you do a city twice because you get all that tourist stuff out of the way and now you can just kind of be in the city and you know it's like you wake up in the morning and you don't really have any real plans people are like where do you want to go and i'm like i don't know 
let's just walk. And, you know, you find like, you know, cool cocktail bars, and you find neat bookstores, and you just find all sorts of, of neat things because you're not pressed to do all that tour stuff anymore. Or if you miss something, now you can, you know, maybe do it then. Um, I like just general, I like I like a balance of, of, you know, doing what a city's known for, you know, London, Big Ben, of course, but then doing some things that I might never would have expected to do in London. Um, you know, I did, we did tea, but instead of doing tea at the Ritz where everyone else does, one of our friends who was living in London was like, no, 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 no. we're going to go to, the, to this place where like locals actually do nice tea. I was like, okay. Um, so, you know, I just being very open-minded about all that stuff. And I'm trying to think, how do I research? Usually at first, I mean, first it's usually Google is, you know, oh, we're going to Amsterdam. Well, you know, Google, what's in Amsterdam? Um, you know, so, I mean, oftentimes we, we have booked multiple, there's multiple times where we have booked a trip to a city that I really didn't even know existed, or I might've heard about it once, like in geography class. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. What's there? So that's always kind of exciting. And then usually that will turn into trying to find events on the dates that we're, we're going. And that can be tough depending if you're going on off season or something like that, you know, you just miss it. And that's, and that's just that. Um, But if there are events exclusively for like when we're going, I'd much rather do that kind of once in a lifetime lineup of an event than, you know, see Big Ben because Big Ben will be there. Right. In your bio, you mentioned that. Now, was that planned as part of the trip or was it just happenstance that it was occurring while you were there? That's a great question. So the British LGBT Awards are kind of like, you know, kind of like the Emmys, like the Oscars, you know, for for LGBT actors, actresses, activists, um, organizations. It's basically celebrating our allies, our community in film, in music, in um, the press, in politics and whatever, and just kind of like honoring all of them for their contributions to kind of, you know, the global movement. Um, I will admit I had never heard. I mean, I kind of heard of the British LGBT awards before because I mean, every country kind of has their own, um, but I never really like knew it was like a big thing like that. And we had a friend living in London and we realized, I think like two weeks out that it was going on. And of course you can't get tickets to the gala, but you can get tickets to the after party. And he was like, well, you guys would have to pack a suit, you know, because this is not just some place you're going to roll up in, you know, scrubs and just kind of go with it. So we're like, okay, 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 okay. And of course Josh did not want to do it because he did not want to pack a suit did not want to go through that hassle. And I'm, looking at him like, well, I'm going to buy tickets and I'm going. And so I'm going with your friend. And so you can either get on board or you can just not go and sit on in, like alone in your room. Eventually he got on board because, you know, good, good old <laughs> stiff arming. Um, and I'm also quite a good packer. And so he, he was like, we don't have room for a suit. And I was like, watch me. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, we, we got tickets. We went and it was... It was probably one of the bougiest things I've ever done. I mean, you're buying, you know, bottles of Moe. I mean, and that's what you're drinking. You're just like, get another bottle of Moe. Who cares? Just get another one. Just I think we went through three, four bottles between the three of us. It was insane. Oh my God. Um, but like you're seeing, you know, all these Instagram influencers. You're seeing these YouTube celebrity and personalities. You're seeing, you know, kind of, you know, being C-list actors and actresses that are walking about. And you're kind of like, you know, just kind of brushing shoulders with someone like the lgbt bourgeoisie which is like (laughs) even though you're not like directly interacting with them it's just cool to be in that space for the night knowing that if we hadn't timed the trip this way we never would have done this and it's all happenstance 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's a really cool experience. Something that I, I've been curious about with within the uh, LGBTQ community. So when I when I'm booking trips um, to countries that are more off the beaten path, not not England or you know um, anywhere in Europe, really, you go to the, I go to the CDC website. And it'll say um, there's a there's a section that says if you know if you're gay if you are a certain religion be wary of traveling to this country because they are not accepting um, and you could run into issues. Uh, now you loving to travel, um, have you had to run into any issues like that, or or have you been to any countries where it is a concern? So I will say that before we go anywhere regardless, you know, whether it's Europe or Canada or anything like that, the first thing I do is I always check, I always check the website and see like what's, what's going on. Right. Um, I know we went to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, Mexico, and Puerto Vallarta, Mexico is a relatively LGBT friendly area in Mexico, but outside of that, it really isn't. And so kind of learning that learning, you know, how do we move when we kind of take an excursion beyond Puerto Vallarta? Like how do, how are we supposed to behave? Um, but definitely, I always check the you know the the, the C, uh, you said it was the CDC. Yeah, it's the CDC. I think also the Treasury Department. The Treasury Department also has uh, LGBT stuff too. I think usually you check the Treasury Department too. Um, no, tre- Office of the Treasury, Homeland Security. It's one of those. Um, and then I always check and see where the embassies are and the consulates in the closest cities or the cities that we're in. And that could just be the you know federal government person in me, but I always put them in a spreadsheet in a separate tab, like. If we run into, you know, insane trouble, go here, you know, right? You know, because you just, you do just never know, um, you know, things have happened in Paris and London and New York and, you know, you can be in a major city and things can still happen. You don't have to be in like in a, in a rural, you know, part of a country that you don't know, or, you know, if we don't, you know, say you get lost and you don't know the language, well then figure out how to get to, to this place and maybe they'll help you reset. Um, I've never really had a country that I've had to be wary of being, a, you know, gay, but this coming trip, actually, we're going to South Africa, and we actually have a layover in Dubai. And Dubai is definitely a place that I would love to visit, but currently, right now, it's not in my best interest to visit at all. Now, luckily, I think our layover is like an hour, so we're you know we're just going to stay in the airport. But you know, we've all talked about like just carrying yourself within the airport. You know how how should we act in that space? Uh, South Africa, you know, they do have gay you know they do have gay marriage, which is great, but you know, we're going, we are not only going to Cape Town, Johannesburg, which, you know, they've said can have their own problems, but we are also going to a couple of rural cities in South Africa as well on this tour. How do we behave and how do we carry ourselves in those environments as well? So it's something we've never really had to think about before, but it's something that now um, with friends, we are having to start have a serious conversation of, you know, as we expand our horizons and go to countries that might not, you know, be all you know, unicorns and rainbows. How do, how do we, you know, exist in these spaces? How do we have fun in these spaces while, you know, not getting ourselves in trouble? Right. So, so I, so it's funny you brought up um, Dubai. I, I went to Abu Dhabi and I went with my, she was my girlfriend at the time. And we read that PDA is illegal in Abu Dhabi if you are not married. And so we were kind of worried the entire time about um, hugging or kissing accidentally, she's my wife now, just while we were touring the city. And we went to mosques, and it's beautiful there. It's a really nice city. The, the architecture is beautiful. And every, it, we had a good experience um, for the most part. But um, it was just really weird. And then we ended up having to get a hotel. 
And it's illegal for people who are not married to get a hotel room together. And we did it anyway. So we, we went back to the airport and we ended up getting a room at a Western hotel that was attached to the airport. So it was a little bit safer, um, but it was still just a weird experience to be in that situation. So we ended up leaving the airport and it was a stop on our way to Thailand. And we later read, we saw an article come up where a, a girl, 24 year old woman was in the airport. She was being hit on by men there. And she was dismissive. She was an American woman. And if an American woman doesn't want to be hit on, she's going to let you know, go away. Well, you can't do that there. And she was actually arrested for it. Um, so even in the airport, you're not safe. You're, you're in a different country and you need to abide by how they operate there. So um, saying all of that and, and being in countries like that where it may be an issue, do you, do you have to suppress it? Do you have to pretend you're not gay or um, hide who you are just to visit these countries? I will say that, you know, kind of making a joke, when you listen to me, you know that I am gay. <laughs> I have that kind of voice. I have that just kind of persona. So for me to suppress it can be a little humorous to watch. I'll say that. Um, but you know, like especially with, with you know with my boyfriend Josh and I, you know we we are you know conscious. I mean, even just walking around in certain parts in the United States, it's like you know maybe we shouldn't hold hands down the street. Maybe we should just you know walk together. Uh, you know, and so. You know, we are aware, you know, kind of how to present. Um, you know, we're not usually wearing anything crazy. It's just kind of, you know, a V-neck and shorts. So, you know, as far as like clothing wise or, you know, who we are, we never really had to worry about that kind of, that, you know, that suppressing. I'm not really one to wear, you know, unless it's pride, I'm probably not wearing makeup, you know, anything like that or something like that. So those, you know, we can, we can, you know, you know, as the term is like passable, right? You know, if you see me on the street kind of walking and provided I didn't say anything, most likely, you probably really wouldn't know. And and Josh, even more so, you know, you you probably wouldn't know that we're gay. And so so we're we're very fortunate in that respect that, you know, we can kind of, you know, exist in this space. We have some friends that are not fortunate. You know, it's just who they are and it's part of their identity. And there have been times where uh, parts pe people in our friend groups have, you know, had to dial it back and, uh, you know, because it is for safety, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to suppress who you are because that is who you are and there shouldn't be anything wrong with that, but you know, you don't want a brick in your face. So this is the world that we yeah, live. And you also don't want to be thrown in jail. That too. It took me a long time to realize how much white privilege I had, white male privilege I had while traveling and just in general life. And when I went to Germany, the only thing I really thought about was that I was American and that's what set me apart. But there are many minorities in the US that have to consider their minority and how it is perceived in other countries. And as I mentioned, it's just something that never crossed my mind until I started hearing about different experiences from other people. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too as he was speaking. Like we I've never I've never gone to a country and thought I need to act a certain way. I just show up and I and I act the way I am and I do what I normally would do. And um, yeah, it, it, it's 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 I don't know. It's not something that that has crossed my mind. I mean, until recently. And I will say it's something that you know it really hasn't crossed my mind. You know, until I think it's just something like I think as you get older, you become more aware of who you are and how you exist, kind of in this world. And I th I do think as a society now we are also. You know, we're we're talking more about this now. We are we're we're asking these questions, and it's it's. I think it's something that society itself, you know, especially from the people of privilege, have never really you know step back and ask and say how how is all this actually working? 
Um, so yeah, I think I think everyone is kind of in that boat where everyone's becoming more conscious of it. I think it's great that we're having that dialogue now and that we're starting to have the conversation that people aren't just talking to the people that have the same views. Well, it's a bad damn time too. It is. Um, it's, it's Pride Month now, right? Um, I've seen you know all the corporations are changing their their profile picture, which just just so my own opinion of that, I I'm all I think it's great. However, I'm very suspecting of the motives of corporations, and I don't know if they're doing the, doing it out of the kindness of their hearts uh, or you know I, I think there's a monetary um, motive. I don't I don't trust any corporation, but that's just my own opinion. Yeah. yeah. To- perception motive there's an interesting article in npr this morning and it was all about how corporations and big companies even individuals that have popularity or at least a name for themselves are using their support of the lgbtq community to show that they are progressive and that they're you know doing all of these positive forward-thinking things even though they're really not doing anything they just said it I actually, I actually heard that segment. I, I, I don't know if it was this morning that I heard it, but yeah, I definitely heard that. I was listening to that segment where they were talking about how uh, people will align with LGBT rights to make them seem more, more left leaning or more progressive than what they actually are, because it's like easy. Yeah, they don't even have to do anything. They just say, "Oh, I'm in support of LGBTQ." Right. What does that actually mean? <laughs> yes, it, it is. It is interesting. Uh, All right, so we've talked about some logistics, some budgets, some travel tips, and some. Uh, some serious things too. But now I want to hear some interesting or fun stories that you've acquired over the years and, you know, put in the old memory bank. Well, this story, to put it short, is going to sound so gay. So, (laughs) (laughs) so we were in Mykonos. Actually, it was less than a year ago. I think it was in August. And of course, you know, Mykonos is known as this big gay party island and it's just crazy there the first night we got in we went up to the bars and we did not come home until six in the morning and i remember seeing the sun come up over like the the kind of like ridge on the island and i literally thought to myself this island is going to kill me um but and it was a blast and so after a few days of being there we were like okay we should get a catamaran we should get a boat because like gays love boats it's, it's a known fact and so so we got, we got this whole catamaran we got it all to ourselves and our friend group you know rented it out and we're doing lunch and we're sailing to like one of one, one of the more uh minor islands kind of around it and they take you to this cove and you jump in the water and we're sailing back around Mykonos and of course the winds come and you know, you're really kind of going up and down and slashing into the water and splashing into the water. And with this catamaran, um, you know, it has kind of the two kind of rudders on either side of it. And the the boat kind of sits in the middle, but in the front was like this net that you kind of lay in. And, you know, of course, we're, the white wine is flowing and, you know, the beer is flowing and we're all laughing and we're going over the waves and we're all just screaming and having a good time. And I look over at my one friend and I said, you know, we, we got to talk about Mamma Mia because Mia Mamma Mia is in Greece and stuff like that. And I think it's Mamma Mia 2 where the oh, I forget, I forget, I'm terrible with names. The one girl looks in through the binoculars and sees all of these men coming on these boats to the island singing Dancing Queen. And I looked at my friend Mike and I said, I feel like that's what straights 
I said, I feel like that's what straight people think that gays do. Like they just think that when we're on vacation, we just come sailing in on these boats, just singing songs. And of course we have like Mama Mia blasting on the boat. And he looked at me and we both had a glass of white wine. He said, I mean, are they wrong? And I said, well, I mean, no, no, they are not. That is what we do. I just, I just feel very seen. <laughs> and we, I mean, you, I bet we went through it, it was a sinful number of, of bottles of white wine that day, but oh my gosh! I mean, we and we were just laughing. We like sailed in, and of course the the two kind of uh, ship hands were like laughing at us because they were overhearing, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" And it was it, that was just a, that was just a whole thing. It was it was just a whole thing that that whole trip. Um, but yeah, that that was so that's like the running joke. We're always like, you know, I think this is what straight people think we do, and we're like, "But it is," and they're like, "Well, well, yes, yes, it is." <laughs> Yeah, I so. mean, you, you gave a good visual. It's it, 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 it sounds very fitting, especially like it, the island, you know, off the coast of Mykonos. Yeah, it's perfect. That's great. How did you like Greece? It's kind of hard to say. I've never been to mainland Greece, actually. We flew directly from London into Mykonos. So the only like part of Greece I've ever known is actually the islands. I've only ever done uh, Mykonos. I forget what the small island was that we visited. And then um, Santorini. So I don't actually, I've never been to Athens. I've never done mainland Greece, but the parts that I saw in the islands was beautiful. I definitely want to go back. Which is the one, Santorini is the one with the white buildings, blue roofs? Yes. That's the one like on the giant crater. Yep. Oh, okay. But that, that photo, that's actually like one photograph taken from different locations. There really aren't that many blue roofs. It's all a scam, <laughs> but it is beautiful nonetheless. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I think I've seen that same setting from the same exact location a hundred times, and what I'm picturing in my head is right behind that camera lens, a line of people just all waiting to step up for that same exact picture. Anytime I see the same picture over and over again of the same location, I just assume that there's a there's a line of people behind the the lens. You know, I would say I know. There, there was a lot of people taking pictures of it, but not so many that, like, I mean, if you want to walk in and snap a few, like, you're not in anyone's way. It was never that crowded, I would say. I think you definitely probably get a lot of, like, professional photographers and stuff like that that go there. The one thing, though, that people do come out for on, in Santorini is the sunsets, and that's where, like, you wait in line to, like, try to go up on some rooftop of Lord knows what building to try and see the sunsets, because that's what Santorini is known for. And that is one thing that actually does draw the people out in droves, is is seeing the sunset. And it's it's so cute, because after the, the sun finally sets over the water, everyone claps. And it's just kind of this, like, cute little thing, like, you know, oh, good job, good good job, son. Like, you did it, you did another great one tonight. And it's, it's just kind of like this very, like, heartwarming thing. And, and one of our friends was like, you know, well, the sun can't hear you. I don't know why you're clapping. And I was like, clap for Mother Nature right now. And he was like, oh, fine. I was like, so. <laughs> so have you heard of the island of Lesbos also in Greece? I have not. And so recently, because of its connotation and its <laughs> meaning and its history, uh, a lot of gay people and lesbians have been traveling to <laughs> Lesbos. And it's become a popular tourist destination. I would believe it. That's a real place. I mean, Mykonos is the island of gays, so. Oh, is it really? Oh, 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 yeah. Mykonos oh, yeah. is definitely like like the gay. Oh no, 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 no! I just oh, meant like in, in okay. culture, like that, like <laughs> you know, when you're when you're there, it's definitely like the gay one. <laughs> that would be funny if it was. Wait, there's an island of lesbians in Greece. Yeah, it is a real place, and it's kind of become a self fulfilling prophecy. Greece, in general, is like the historically is like the 
sexual uh i don't know i don't know how to describe it but that's that's historically known as where uh sexually adventurous i don't know yeah they're notorious for that the greeks promiscuous (laughs) (laughs) well let me ask you this out of all the places you've been where has where have you had the best experience what has been your favorite country to visit oh that's tough i do love amsterdam i do i that city every time I'm, i'm there i just i want to go back i'm like i could live here I just love that city so much. I've never fell in love with a city kind of the way that I did with Amsterdam, and I've and I've I haven't done Paris or France or any of those. I haven't done Spain yet, and I haven't done Italy yet, and that we're getting to all those. But um, thus far, Amsterdam is like I, I went there the first time, fell in love. I went there the second time, and I loved it even more. Yeah, I I think that's like the cult, the people there are just so nice. They're they're so inviting. They're I mean it's insanely progressive, so like that's great for me. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just like a warm and inviting city. There's you know every every little you know shop and, and you know street and and cafe and whatever. It's just it's all just so charming and it all just makes you feel like you know like it just like it, it's kind of like this like warm little hug. It's like oh like welcome back like come in from like the you know the cold Dutch air and like get some tea kind of thing. And it's it's just very like inviting. But watch out for the bikes. Yeah, those bikes are everywhere. So Chase, do you have any advice for any member of the LGBTQ community that is concerned about traveling abroad? I think I would say first off, you know, do your research. Whether the country is friendly to our community or not, it's just it's just good bookkeeping, right? It's just smart to do. Just smart to, you know, do your research, know where you want to go, know, you know, the places to go out because we, you know, we have our own spaces, right? We have gay bars, we have lesbian bars, we have queer spaces that we can go in almost every country. Find those places, you know, you're, you're going to find people there that will be like you and accept you for who you are. Um, know that more often than not, people are accepting than they are uh, not accepting to people that are different than them. One thing I've really learned in my travels, whether it be you know to Amsterdam or to Havana or to Puerto Vallarta or Mykonos, is that people are more same than we are different, and we're all just kind of looking for that little slice of happiness. And as long as you're not impeding on someone else's pursuit of happiness, people are probably going to be okay with you. It's really, it's you know, the pe- the people are not the governments that represent them all the time. So you know, be adventurous. And you're probably smarter than you know, so you'll probably be fine. That's sound advice. Um, can I ask, have you traveled the United States often and uh, or a lot? And have you run into any issues in any particular states? Uh, I mean, I've I've ran into issues like in Philadelphia before. I mean, I've I've been down in Georgia and South Carolina and like the South. Um, I haven't really done the deep South, like Alabama, Mississippi, those kind of states. I haven't done that area yet. But overall, too, I mean, as long as you're not like screaming, I think people are pretty much as, you know, they're like, are you getting a coffee and are you going to get out of my way? Yes. Great. Cool. I don't care who you marry. Like, I mean, that's, that's, I feel like what most people are like nowadays, everyone's just, that's so laissez-faire. Like you do you and I'm going to do me. Just don't hold me up. I don't want to be late. So, but overall, I mean, there's definitely, I think too, is because we are aware of those spaces that we've never, we've never really had a real uh, moment to kind of engage with that. It's like, you know, if, if we're in, you know, say deep South Philly, Eh, probably shouldn't hold Josh's hand down here. So then we won't. And so then you don't really have an issue with it. You know what I mean? So I've never really had the opportunity to experience that, I would say. Yeah. I, I So Trace, I've been to Alabama. I've been to Mississippi. I've been to every Southern state in the country. Um, You're not missing a whole lot. So I've heard. Lost, so we I've just heard. lost a lot of fans there, Bob. <laughs> and, and right, you, right, right, right. <laughs> and if, if you're listening from Alabama or Mississippi, people. um. <laughs> I I apologize. Birmingham actually is an 
Birmingham is actually a beautiful <laughs> city. I did enjoy Birmingham. <laughs> so Chase, how, how can people find you? Do you have some social media <laughs> handles that they could reach you at or follow you on? My social media is Chasing Angles, C-H-A-S-I-N-G-A-N-G-L-E-S on all relevant social media. All right. Nice and easy. That was that was very nice and easy. Do you do any travel blogging? You know, I have not. I've I have thought about it and it's like kind of one of my projects to start maybe getting into once like the house gets settled. I have I I have so many projects that I make my head spin. Um, but it is something I've thought about doing, uh, you know, kind of getting more involved in all that. Um, yeah, hopefully, you know, keep a lookout for South Africa, which will be in August. And I have a wedding in Italy in November. Nice. So that'll be definitely on the socials. So I don't know how much you've been following us, um, but back in January, we ended up partnering with Minivan of Memories. The guy's name is Adjilson. He's a Brazilian living in Ireland, but he's created this platform for independent travelers that don't have like a blogging platform themselves, but you can just type up less than 500 words and send it to him with a few photos, and he'll post the whole thing on his website for anyone else to see. It's really kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's a really awesome, awesome website. It's a great idea. I've actually written two blogs for him now. And it's a cool way for someone who doesn't have the platform, doesn't have the have the ability to share it with anybody, um, to just write something up and get it out there to the world. And we've actually met people through his platform and then brought them on the show. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool idea. I would check it out. That sounds like it might be perfect for you. Definitely. Thank you again for coming on the show, Chase. It was it was a lot of fun talking with you. Yes, thank you so much guys for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. Well, that is our show for today. One thing I am going to take away from that episode is the image of them sailing, drinking, and singing on the catamaran around Mykonos. That has to be one of the gayest stories I ever have ever heard, and I have never wanted to be partying on a boat more in my entire life. That sounds sounded like an awesome time. Uh, thank you for listening to the episode. As always, please just give us a quick rating on iTunes. It goes very long. Again, we partners with Minivan of Memories, Little Passports, Travel Like a Local. Check us out on all of our social media platforms but more importantly tune in next week for our next podcast thank you for being there